This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. I sat down to record this episode. It's Monday night. I am getting ready to embark on another unofficial odyssey. I didn't quite intend for it to be such, but it's turning out to be that way. I'm headed to Morocco on Wednesday. There's a big African art fair that I want to check out. Some of my favorite artists are showing, so I'm really excited about that. And I haven't been to Morocco in nine years, so I'm actually really excited to get back. And last time I was there, I want to say like I went in June or July, like it was sweltering heat. Was just really excited to go to Africa at the time. Didn't really think about the temperatures when we booked the tickets. But this time, it's like a, a balmy 70, sometimes even 65 every day. So I'm really excited to see the country without dripping in sweat. I'll only be there for like a week. I'm doing Marrakesh, and then I'm going out to the desert. And then out to a town that I can't quite pronounce the name of. Starts with an O. But Morocco has a very robust movie industry and a lot of the movies that you've seen, like Gladiator, for instance, are filmed at a studio or a series of studios about four hours from Marrakesh. So I'm going to go check that out too, as well as some other historical sites. So I'm really excited about this trip. So Morocco to Ghana, then Ghana to East America, East America to West America, back to East America, then back to Ghana for not so long, maybe a couple weeks. And then off to like my new country to live in. Hence why I'm taping on Monday because my schedule is about to go into overdrive. I have a whole list of things that I wanted to talk about, including last night's Grammys. I didn't get a chance to watch the entire show. The time that it comes on, it's the middle of the night here. But I caught up on the clips, like the big things that people were talking about. The big performances and big ongoings I was able to catch up on. And I have, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. But when I sat down to record, I did a quick scroll on social media. Too big. Huge announcements within like the last 25 minutes. One of them is more interesting to me than the other. But we'll start with literally life or death. King Charles, the palace just announced that he's been diagnosed with cancer. They have not said which type of cancer. They've only said not prostate. He went in for a prostate check and then they discovered the cancer. And I think this was sometime last week, but they said that he's already receiving outpatient treatment. Uh, The palace has not released what stage of cancer that he's experiencing. I think it's worth noting he's a 75-year-old man. We knew, because he's 75, that his reign as king wasn't going to be very long, but he's only been king for... Officially? I moved to London the beginning of May. I arrived on a Sunday, and the coronation was the day before. Early May. It wasn't even the 15th. I'm not trying to cut his time short or anything like that, but, you know, cancer at 75 is, I say things sometimes and people think I'm being funny and I'm not, but ungood. I'm reading this on BBC.com. It says he's going to pause public events for a while. And it said the only reason that the palace is speaking out is because they want to encourage more men to get prostate checks. No matter how you feel about King Charles or how he was portrayed on The Crown or the devastating and ongoing effects of British colonialism around the world. I don't wish him dead. I don't wish him pain. I'm not really set up like that. I wish him a speedy recovery. Is it wrong, the first thing? 
And just please know, I've already expressed sympathy and sadness for his sickness. I was like, damn, they spent all that money on that coronation and gonna have to turn around and do another one real quick. I hope he don't die. I don't wish him dead. But that's a lot of money they spent. There's a type of person I think would have just been like, you know what, skip me. I'm 75. Like, let's just, let's just take it to William. Clearly, he's not that person. He really wanted to be king. To my knowledge, like the people received him. That's not true. There were a lot of people. And I remember asking like, you know, like cab drivers and waiters and British people are real blunt people. They don't really sugarcoat much. But I was like, you know, are people excited about Charles being king? And they were like, no. And I was like, but there were so many people like the crowds and they were like all tourists. I was like, oh, okay. I wish him a speedy recovery. That's not what made me shout when I was scrolling. Usher is on the internet in his draws. I repeat, Usher is on the internet in his draws. I still follow Kim Kardashian. She's interesting. Usher is the new face of men's skims. There are a series of pictures of him. Let me count them. Pictures and videos. There's one, he's in black and navy draws. He has on a few diamond chains and he's squeezing a peach. His abs, one, two, three, five, six. It looks like eight. There's some other muscular formations on the sides. I don't know what muscles those are, but like, my God. He didn't shave under his arms. I'm not mad at it. It's not too much. I actually prefer men to shave under their arms. And then there's a video where he's in all white underwears. They're like boxer briefs. And then he has on a wife bee and he takes it off. And then he's just standing there in his white drawers, squeezing a peach and wearing his diamonds and biting on a toothpick. Some of the sexiest shit I ever seen in my life. Then there's a still of him in his white and he's taking off the shirt and you can see his abs and he's got a big smile and a pinky ring. Fabulous. There's another one in his white drawers. It's quite the bulge. It's not vulgar. But it's, it's, there's something there. I'm like, I wonder, is this, you think it's stuff or you think it's him? You think it's Photoshop or you think it's him? He's squeezing the peach and peach juice is running down his forearm. He still has on his diamonds, both his diamond chains and the diamonds in his ears. How many carrots do you think Usher has in each ear? Because those diamonds that he has... I want to say his are probably like four or five carats on each year. They're beautiful. He's beautiful. Oh, this is not the last picture. He has on a regular t-shirt and now some maroon boxer briefs. Again, a very large bulge and also squeezing a peach. And then we have Usher in, I believe it's black and navy. Let me zoom in. Yes, black and navy boxer briefs. Still squeezing the peach. Bare chested. With the diamond chains. With the Jesus piece. The Jesus piece has been in every photo. There's just so much other that's distracting me. And now another photo with the maroon. He has on his shirt, but he's lifting it up. He's staring directly into the camera. I want something like Mona Lisa. Where like, if you go one way, you feel like his eyes are following you. It's kind of creepy. I wish y'all could see me sitting here rocking. I look ridiculous right now. And then this last photo, he has army green. I'm so glad I put that merchandise in army green. It's like the it color for the season. One of my favorite sites where I get a bunch of like my leggings and workout clothes, Carbon 38, they just released like a whole army green line. And I was like, oh, 
I thought I was taking a huge risk doing army green because it's one of my favorite colors, but apparently it's in this season. I'm very pleased. Usher looks like Charles Blow in this picture. You know who Charles Blow is, the writer for the New York Times? And he also did the opera. Remember the black opera? And they were like singing the F word. And I was like, this is a lot. But he's also a really great writer, like a smart, like thought leader, intellectual type who has a beautiful apartment in Atlanta. And he's fine. Very easy on the eye. There's some salt and pepper situation happening. That's not the point. The point is Usher looks like he could be his son in this picture. I think it's the way he's holding his face. I'm sorry, I got stuck for a minute. You should go to Kim Kardashian's page. I, words I never thought I would utter. But Usher looks fucking amazing. Woo! I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I cannot wait. And for the new album. I saw the clip of the new video he released. It's a song about his daughter. And she's in the video with him. She took that man's whole face. Especially like the eyes. Like, oh, okay, yeah, Usher, your daddy. Calm the little girl. Cute as she can be. Song was just alright. I didn't love it. Love the visuals. Whoa, remember last week I was talking about how Vogue fumbled the Usher cover and then Ebony's cover is Lakeith Stanfield and then Essence's cover is supposed to be more than likely the women who are being honored at Black Women in Hollywood or at least one of them. Could be several covers. I'm not giving anything away by saying that. That's been standard for like over a decade. I was complaining that there's no publication that's going to give us our big Usher cover with a bunch of dope pictures and so we could really celebrate Usher. Did Kim Kardashian's ash just come through where Vogue, Ebony, and Essence had failed us? The dear God. I might actually have to start liking her. <sighs> what have I been doing since last we spoke? We spoke on Friday. One of my homies is in town. It's one of Davida's other really good friends too. But I hung out with her in Bali. And then we hung out in Paris. And now she's over here in Ghana. So we've been hitting a bunch of beach clubs and a bunch of restaurants. Like we've just been chilling really, really, really hard. Like I'm back on this crazed work schedule that I was trying to avoid. It's like 10 hour days right now. Minimum. Trying to manage all this stuff for the merch drop. And then also I just finished revamping the website DemetriaLLucas.com, two L's, it's important. The website's been under lockdown since April, I think. Because of the thing with Mozambique, and the guy was stalking me for a while, so I had to like shut everything down. I had to put it back up because of the merch drops that we have coming. I told you about the merch drop from Season World that's coming in March. But I'm also restocking the logo, hoodies, crews, and tees for Ratchet and Respectable. So those will drop the same time I do Season World. It'll all drop at the same time. The Amazon storefront is almost done. Some of y'all been hitting me up and was like, so what date is this? I haven't announced it. That and working on the book and two books. I have a designer, I think, fingers crossed, for the See Some World book. She's trying to see if she can fit it into her schedule. So I spend copious amounts of time. I had to schedule an extra two hours in the day to go through photos. Like I have literally 130,000 photos just on my iPhone. And then I also have my hard drives here with me. It's one of the projects that I told myself I wanted to complete while I was in Ghana. At least the pulling of the files together. It is an undertaking and labor of love going through all the photos. But, but sparking very good memories. I don't know if I'd shared this. Actually, I'm positive I didn't. One of my um, really good friends from my 20s in New York passed away from cancer. And it just leveled me. I still haven't cried about it. And you know, like I'm a crier too. Like I'm really in tune with my emotions. 
but I just haven't been able to cry. And I kind of want to instead of crying. And I think this is worse at the oddest times. It just hits me. And I'm just like, I can't believe she's gone. I hadn't talked to her in a very long time. Her ex-boyfriend hit me out the blue. He was also a friend of mine, separate from her. He hit me or whatever and was like, you know, do you hear the unfortunate news? We have a mutual friend that isn't doing so well. He has some um, some problems. We'll leave it at that. And I really thought he was going to tell me that his friend had OD or committed suicide. And it didn't even cross my mind that what he was hitting me about, like the unfortunate news, had anything to do with, with my friend. But he was like, yeah, like she passed away. What? I didn't even know she was sick. Yeah. But I've been scrolling through these photos and there's so many pictures of, of me and my friend. Events that I just totally forgot about. And like, there we are in pictures. And I'm just like, <sighs> she's young, younger than me. I'm sad. I just can't believe she's gone. Sorry, didn't mean to be a downer. Oh, speaking of men in their draws. Actually, he's not in his draws. Like you would think by the description that he was. Idris Elba is the new face of Calvin Klein, but not Calvin Klein underwear, unfortunately. Usher has stepped in and filled that position over its skims. Good job, Kim. Good job. But no, Calvin Klein just dropped a new ad for Idris Elba commercial. He unfortunately is fully clothed and still looks sensational. The savvy, wife savvy, posted the video and was like, look at our husband. <laughs> I was like, girl, you get it. You know, you got like a hundred million sister wives in this world. We love him like you do. I mean, almost like you do. Remember he got COVID back when everybody was dying from COVID and she got on a plane and went to him and was like, I just could not let him be alone by himself. And I was like, you know what? You got it, sis. You the right one. Because I love some Idris. I wasn't risking my life for Idris. There was something else with Idris. Hijack. Remember I kept talking about Hijack? I have like my entire listenership, readership across all platforms watching Hijack because it was so good. Apparently, even despite the way it ended, because I felt like there were so many loose ends, but apparently it was only supposed to be one season. It was a limited series, but because of the overwhelming response to it, Apple decided to bring Hijack back for season two. The more Idris, the better. I'm very excited about it. And not even just because Idris is fine. Like it was actually just riveting. Like the writers were chef's kiss. Tell Savvy we're proud of our husband. I also started watching, it's on Hulu, MLK and Malcolm X. I don't know what the official name of this show is. Hold on. Okay. Malcolm X. Hulu. Genius MLK slash X. That's what it's called. Okay. Oh, these are the same people. Genius. They did, um, remember Genius Aretha? That's the one I think they did with Cynthia Revo and my friend Patrice Covington. She was in it. She played one of Aretha's sisters. Patrice came on the show to talk about it. Now that I think about it. All right. So that's what this is. One of the either social media readers or podcast listeners wrote in and told me, she was like, girl, you got to watch this. It's really, really good. And just to make sure I tuned in, she was like, William from This Is Us, Ron Cephas, the actor who recently passed away, he plays Elijah Muhammad. Oh, I'll definitely give it a whirl because I've been re-watching This Is Us on Netflix, American Netflix. They have all the seasons, but I've been re-watching it 
and boohooing at different places than I boohooed before. I was like, what is this about? Usually when I watched it before, I would always cry for William really bad. And this time I've been crying really bad for Deja. I think it's the fish out of water theme, I guess. Stranger in a strange land. So like Deja being a foster kid and then moving in with the Pearsons and all the things that go crazy. Like, you know, Ajua slash Demi in a crop. Stranger in a strange land. Which, to be clear, I'm not calling Ghana a strange land. It's a common term among English majors. That's what I'm trying to say. In a different place from home where you feel like an outsider. So I think that's part of the reason I've been crying over Deja. I told the woman who wrote in, I was like, well, I'll give it a whirl because I really like William. It's good. It's not bad. In the second episode, it gets good. And the first episode is not bad. Like, it's not bad writing. It's not bad direction. It's visually fine. It's just fine. That's it. I think because there are so many stories, film, TV, documentaries, books, history lessons about Martin Luther King and about Malcolm X, you can tell the story again, but the story's been told so often, it's kind of like, what are you bringing fresh to the story that we haven't seen or heard before? And the first episode covers terrain that for the most part has been heavily covered before. And so I just wasn't really into it. I think the only thing I really learned is allegedly... And I need to go look this up because I was like, I've never heard this before. This is new. Martin Luther King, as a child, tried to commit suicide from jumping from a window. And I was like, what? It's depicted in this new show. In episode two, it starts to get into less chartered territory. They get to Martin going off to college and meeting Coretta. When Coretta enters, that's when things actually get interesting. As depicted, he's very smitten with her off jump, and she's very unimpressed with him off jump. The story alludes to him being quite the ladies' man, and Coretta knows this, and so she doesn't really take him all that seriously. But he tells her, as this is depicted at least on like date one, I'm trying to make you my wife. So watching Martin Luther King, somebody who we think of is like, he's a very serious man. He's a, you know, a minister and he's marching and he's fighting for the rights of black people and the rights of poor people and the rights of brown people and young men sent to Vietnam. He's known for being a very serious person, at least in his work life. But to see him like spit game, <laughs> he had to get this lady to marry him somehow. He had to do some kind of like wooing and courting and everything else. But like to watch him spit game to Coretta it's really good TV. And then also, I think most of the storylines, at least in films that I've watched about King, don't really focus very much on Mrs. King's accomplishments separate from her husband. Her being a whole opera singer, like there might be a mention of it, but I don't recall anything that actually shows her auditioning for an opera performance or worried if she got the part or... Things like that. Like I've heard about her singing as a means of fundraising for the civil rights movement, but not really so much her just pursuing her passion just for the sake of her doing so. It was really nice to see Coretta Scott independently of her husband. And then also, they're both still very young at the time. I want to say like in their early 20s. 
Martin's father, who was a minister, wants him to come back south and work with him in the church. And Martin very much doesn't want to do so. Like Coretta wants to be in the north. He's a man who's smitten with a woman. He want to be where she is. He's like, there's churches here. They got churches too. His father's very adamantly against it. Watching him as a young man standing up to his father, trying to navigate his space in the world, just figure out who it is that he wants to be. That so far is the strong part of the series. And then also Malcolm X. And watching depictions of Malcolm X are so tricky to me because of Denzel and X. Like it's the definitive for me depiction of Malcolm X. So like anytime I watch something else short of the guy that plays Malcolm X in um, Godfather of Harlem, he does a good Malcolm X. But in general, like I critique depictions of Malcolm X really, really hard. This actor is solid acting, but he gets into his sweet spot. Also in episode two, when Malcolm X gets out of prison is when his character for me starts to become engaging because it's like he's going through this experience. He's converted to Islam, but he was in prison when he did it. It's easy not to be tempted when your temptations are not available to you. So Malcolm X gets out of prison and he's very like hardcore, like Nation of Islam. But then he runs into like an old friend, cute chesty chick. (laughs) His temptations are back. Like as a Muslim man, like, you know, he's not supposed to be drinking and smoking and partying and clubbing. And I'm pretty sure not fornicating. He meets up with old girl and, you know, she looking good and she's saying the right things and she's still interested and she missed him and she want to pick up with things left off because, you know, he does it for her. And so he's like, well, I'm into, you know, Islam now. and I don't do those things. And she's like, I know you. I know you and I know how we do. Like, what are you talking about? So she's like, well, meet me at the club and, you know, whatever. So he shows up at the club. And she's trying to get him to dance. And he was like, I didn't come here to dance. I came here to either like pray with you or spread the word of the honorable Elijah Muhammad. But she's shaking them things at him. And then she starts dancing with another man. And he know he could dance better than that man. He ain't really giving that lady no motion. Sir, let the music feel good to him and just got to getting it one last time. But so to see Malcolm X like struggle with his new self, with his new religion, even in Spike Lee's version of the story, it's like, I came out of prison and I was this Muslim man. And then I just lived like this completely honorable Muslim life. And I never second guessed it up until he parts with the church years later. There doesn't seem to be any struggle to stay on the right path or to become this new version of himself. And anybody who's ever tried to change knows this shit is a struggle. Like it's much more convenient to like act an ass than it is to act like you got sense by far. But that's when it really gets good. So I hope that the show will, they got me locked in after episode two, but I hope as the show goes on that they will show more of the humanity of these two men and the people around them instead of making them into these like paint by numbers historical figures. For me, I don't need their stories to be perfect. I don't need them to be completely convicted in everything that they do. When you try new things, like you have doubts. Even things you're like 100% sure. Like I know that I am making a good decision for my life. This is the best thing for me. And I know if I can stay the course that it will all work out. And still, you can be scared to do it. So I like when they show those moments of humanity or vulnerability, especially with these men. And I love the woman playing Coretta. I was like, more Coretta, please. Like actually, I could do a whole series just on Coretta and I'd be good with that. She is not as her daughter 
had to inform Jonathan Majors, a prop. <sighs> Why did he do that damn interview? I had in my notes today to talk about Jonathan Majors, that interview, because it was such a big thing at the time that it happened. I don't know exactly what to say about that situation other than like, why? What exactly did you hope to accomplish with that interview? It was a good interviewer. She asked all the questions that I wanted. She had good follow-ups too. But she asked him, she said, well, why, why did you choose to do this interview? And he was like, because I wanted to set the record straight and I wanted to tell my side of the story. And okay, you know, you had a whole trial where you had the opportunity to do that, right? You had the opportunity then to tell your side of the story on stand, under oath, with a cross-examination, this woman has accused you of something which you are adamant that you did not do. And you don't even know why she's accusing you of doing this thing. Like, you're baffled. He said, quote, that he was reckless with this woman's heart, but he was absolutely not at all reckless with her physically. He never beat this woman or any woman. That's what he says in the interview. And I'm like, why didn't you get on stand and say that? Why did you wait until like a week or two after you were found guilty to do a TV interview instead of defending yourself in the court of law? Because the charges against Jonathan Majors, nothing was a felony. And throughout the reporting over months about his story, all the reporters kept pointing out, like usually something like this, the person would have pleaded out. He went through the trial because according to what his lawyer kept saying publicly, he's innocent. He did not do these things and he wants to clear his name. Okay. He was trying to fight for his career. He was losing all his roles left and right. He was getting blacklisted from Hollywood. He had this one thing, this big thing left as Kang the Conqueror with Marvel. And he was trying to hang on to it. It was so important to you for, to prove your innocence and for people to know your side of the story. It was so important to you that you opted not to take the stand. He said, I felt like the proof that my lawyers were able to provide didn't leave a doubt. Like it was very clear that I was innocent. Clearly not, sir. He does this interview. He's a good actor, but like what he evoked from, because the interview is a performance. I don't know what he hoped to evoke from the audience, but I was like, bruh, at best, people thought the same thing about him that they did before he did the interview, which makes it pointless. I don't think anybody who didn't like him before the interview decided, you know what? I like him now. I think he's told the truth. I don't think anybody who was a fan of him before stopped being a fan. So I'm like, what was the point of this interview? You just wanted people to know your story? Again, you could have done that on the stand. You opted not to because you didn't want to be cross-examined. He does this huge fuck-up, which the one I just alluded to, I think it was a fuck-up. At a point that the loudest King family spokesperson had to address you and tell you to stop referring to her mama as a prop, I would say that's a fuck up. Megan Good, who hard launched her relationship with him. There were rumors of it before, um, but she confirmed it by showing up to his trial dates with him. And I was like, we talked about this 50 million times before. You know, I'd be looking at Megan like, girl, do you know who you are? What are you doing? But she went to set with him for this interview. The camera pans to her. The interviewer asked, they said, well, Jonathan, you have a girlfriend and Megan and how have y'all been navigating this? He says that Megan is an angel. He says that she is his Coretta Scott King. And I was like, nigga, what are you doing? 
Megan is sitting over on the sidelines looking at him all passionately and intently when the camera pans to her. And I'm like, girl, this is what you want to be remembered for? Like this? You stood by a man who just got convicted of beating a girl before you. Really? Megan. Okay. Okay. I'm not belaboring the point. We talked about Megan and Jonathan. But it's like, that's the second time that the Coretta Scott King thing came up. We talked about his girlfriend recorded him berating her. She came home drunk one night. He launched into her about being a great man and he needed a great woman by his side. And he literally says to her, like, I need you to be my Coretta Scott King. And then says, do you know who that is? <laughs> Why is your black ass with a woman that you got to ask, do you know who Coretta Scott King is? Sir. But he, then he goes and does this interview. He refers to Megan as his Coretta Scott King, which people just clowned him. Put him and Megan's face on flyers <laughs> for parties for Martin Luther King weekend. <laughs> People ain't shit. I love them. I love them for the creativity and the time they have on their hands to post this dumb shit on the internet. But I was like, why? Why? I felt like he was antagonizing his ex-girlfriend. Like he told this woman, you, you should be my Coretta Scott King. You can't support me as a great man because you came home drunk. Sir, if you don't let this drunk lady go lay down or take a shower and sleep it off, why are you yelling at somebody drunk? But I felt like him saying Megan Good was his Coretta Scott King was a little dig at his ex-girlfriend. Also, I couldn't understand why he did this interview before he got sentenced. I don't expect that he's going to do jail time. I don't understand why you would sit down and do this interview. One, where you don't particularly come across well. You show no remorse. Despite the conviction, he's very much denying all of what his ex-girlfriend has said. I was like, so your lawyer allowed this? Again. I didn't go to law school. I took the LSAT. I watched an extraordinary amount of Law & Order. I like legal shows. But I was like, I've watched enough of them to know you don't go giving interviews when you haven't been sentenced. And the ex-girlfriend's lawyers said as much. And they were like, Jonathan Majors is doing this interview and he's expressing no remorse. I was like, why are you helping your accusers? Hasn't your lawyer already done this enough? Jonathan Majors, and he currently seems to be practicing this, needs to just go like silent. He needs to go complete AWOL. He's got this sentencing, which hasn't happened yet. I don't, what is Jonathan Majors sentencing? Oh, tomorrow. Shit, February 6th. I see on Los Angeles Times, Majors conviction holds a maximum jail sentence of one year. They said it was unlikely he will be incarcerated. I think it's unlikely too. The Hollywood Reporter notes that the charges are a misdemeanor and a violation. I doubt he'll see the inside of prison. That's extreme for what he's been convicted of. But I was like, sir, I need you to lay low for like six months to a year. If you can go overseas, I don't know what your funds are looking like. I know he had a triplex in New York, like his ends and dividends were real good. I don't know what they are now. Now that he's basically been fired from all of his projects, they fired him from a Dennis Rodman project. And I was like, hey, 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 I understand Marvel although they have associated with other people who have problematic history. I understand Marvel wants to be like, oh, we don't condone, so we're, we're pulling away. But I was like, his, his reputation is so tarnished that he can't depict Dennis Rodman? I don't know what his ends or dividends are like, but if he could afford to go on like a sabbatical to a country with brown or black people and let his hair grow out some, wear loose pants and Jesus sandals, it reads to people as like, 
is, is self-evaluation, self-searching, seeking redemption, a refresh, a reboot. I know because I travel, it's really not that, but okay, sure. But, but, let, but let's go with the depiction of it. <sighs> Do basically a Will Smith. Like, you know, Will Smith had his incident. Will Smith took significant time off from public life. He came back later, maybe like six to eight months with a video apology talking about how he'd worked on himself. He looked like he'd been on a self journey and he came back. He was very humble. He says, you know, I knew, I know I did a thing that I shouldn't have done, but I've, I've done my work. I'm dealing with my shit. And if you just give me a chance, I think you might like me again, or I think we might be friends again. I would say that Will Smith for the most part has been pretty redeemed. I think the same could happen for Jonathan Majors if he gets his shit together. If he gets better, I don't know if it's a matter of better PR or if it's a matter of listening to the council around him, which either he has failed himself or or people have failed him. I hope that I don't hear from him again, maybe around the end of the year, like give folks a chance to miss him, give himself a chance to do some self-work or at least just look like it. And I think maybe his career could have a comeback. I mean, there's people who've done worse and have gone on like much further. Like, for instance, Dr. Dre. It's not even a question of whether Dr. Dre beat the brakes off several women. One being Michelle A, two being D. Barnes, and then the third being his wife of 20 some odd years. They've all accused him of beating them. He's also apologized publicly for the way that he treated women at one point in time. But he's all but like acknowledged, like, yes, I, I beat women. He's got a whole Grammy Award named after him, which Jay-Z accepted and then went off on everybody about. We'll talk about that after this commercial break. So the Grammys were last night. We're not going to do a full recap, but there are certain things I do want to mention. Tracy Chapman. She performed Fast Car with Luke Comba. He's a country singer. And he did a cover of her song last year, a country version that was very, very, very popular. I've read that just overnight, Fast Car has gone to number one on iTunes. So much congratulations to Tracy Chapman. She's known as, I guess, reclusive. She don't really be outside like that. It doesn't need to be. And her royalty should be strong especially from the country singer who covered her last year. So good for her. I want to shout out Victoria Monet. I have not listened to the album. I'm just familiar with that one uber popular song, like the On My Mama song. And I guess I should listen to her album. I heard it's pretty good. I'm more invested in her narrative. Some people, I just really like them. But I just remember hearing the story. It was last year. She wanted to perform at the MTV Awards and they were like, mm, no, no, you're not, you're not ready yet. Yes, she was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Grammys and then took home three for new artists, for R&B album, for engineered album, non-classical. I'm reading this also on Billboard. The headline is Victoria Monet says she was told it's too early in her career to perform at the 2023 VMAs. Talk about a fucking fumble. What else do I have on my list? I put Taylor Swift on here because everyone was talking about it. She won another best album of the year. It's either her third or her fourth. I cannot name you one Taylor Swift song. I know that's just me. She's hugely popular, but I... The big conversation today, though, was less about her win 
and more about Celine Dion, who I do think is worth talking about. My mother loves Celine Dion. Celine Dion, Luther Vandross, Marvin Gaye, but not in that order. I would say it's Marvin, then Luther. She used to wear them Celine Dion CDs out when I was in high school. Oh my God, I hated riding with my mother. And Celine Dion has a good voice, but I'm just like, these are the only three options you want to listen to. Essentially, yes. So Celine Dion shows up at the Grammys last night, which is a huge deal. She has one of the best voices of all time. She's one of the best-selling artists of all time. In addition to that, she's had some really devastating health issues over the years. And we've seen pictures of her where she, I want to phrase this um, compassionately, she was very thin and she didn't look healthy. And people were genuinely concerned about her because it looked like she wasn't going to be with us much longer. But she came out last night. Her face looked full. She looked healthy. She looked good. But she announces album of the year. It's Taylor Swift. And I think this is her fourth one. She is super giddy and goes crazy. And she runs to the stage and then runs around the stage. Like she's a German shepherd with the zoomies. And she's hugging everybody. And then she goes and takes the Grammy from Celine Dion and doesn't even really acknowledge her. Like It's like she's just some random woman who was assigned to stand there and hold the Grammy until she came to get it. Like, like Celine Dion was the intern. So people, you know, were really upset and they were like, how dare you treat Celine Dion that way? Like she's an icon. They went and found video of Taylor Swift speaking about Celine Dion. And you said that she was one of your faves. You said she was an inspiration. And if this is how you feel, how dare you treat Celine Dion like that? I'll give it to her PR crew because Taylor Swift went backstage and tracked down Celine Dion. They took a really cute picture together and she fangirled out on her. And then that picture was posted everywhere. In Taylor's defense, like it looks, it looks ungood on the video. The way people were describing it actually made it sound much worse than what it is. But I watched the video. I'm like, how bad is it? And I was expecting the worst. She should have acknowledged Celine Dion. But also, I think it's fair to give her a little grace and say that she was caught in the moment. She was excited. She was overwhelmed. Like album of the year, we'll talk about this in a minute, is a really big deal. I saw some people criticizing her and they were like, Taylor Swift and this all shuck shit that she does. The complaint was that she always acts like she had no idea it was coming. It's very all shucks. I'm so surprised. Who, me? I think if she acted unsurprised and acted like, oh, of course I won then that would be a criticism too. They'd be like, oh, the bitch feels entitled. Like she's stuck up. She's snotty. I just feel like being a woman, there's very few times where we don't get criticized for whatever we do. And then last night, Jay-Z receives the, is it the Dr. Dre Icon Award? I refer to it as the award named after the woman beater. I don't know what they were thinking when they decided to name this award after Dre, but they did. Jay-Z gets the award And several things occur in Jay-Z's speech. One of them is about Beyonce, which is what everyone's been talking about all day. But he said a lot more than Beyonce. He acknowledged Dr. Dre as a pioneer in his industry. He said he was honored to receive the award. And then he gave a little bit of Grammy's history, particularly hip-hop, but black folk in general. He points out in 89, the Grammy started recognizing rap hip-hop. And they decided to recognize it, but they decided not to air the award. Will Smith, Jazzy Jeff, and some other people 
boycott the Grammys. Jay-Z talks about a time in 98. He said DMX, which I distinctly remember, dropped two albums in the same year and they both went to number one and he's not even nominated for a Grammy. So Jay-Z said that he boycotted the Grammys that year. To be clear where his criticism is coming from, he says, we love y'all and we want you to get it right. And then he goes on to speak about his wife. She has more Grammys than anybody else in history. She's not like neck and neck with anybody. She has far outpaced everyone else, including Taylor Swift. But none of her Grammys are for album of the year. And so Jay-Z points out that she has all these Grammys. She has 30 some odd Grammys. And he says, and you mean to tell me, despite her winning all of these Grammys, she's never received like the big dog, which is album of the year. And he was like, how is that possible? Even by your own metrics. You clearly think she's an amazing artist. You clearly think she's putting out quality work, but never a quality album. How is that possible? The camera keeps panning to Bay. I couldn't read her face. Some people were like, Beyonce looked horrified. She had the same face as when Kanye got on stage and told Taylor Swift he was going to let her finish. But Beyonce literally mouthed, oh no, Kanye, when he did that. With Jay-Z, I couldn't tell if she felt honored that her husband was on stage standing up for her or if she was like horrified. Same thing with Blue. I couldn't read Blue's face either. And I was like, oh, she got that shit from her mom. People have tried to reduce, and black people too. I don't really care what nobody else thinks. Black people have tried to reduce Jay-Z's speech to kind of greedy or like asking for too much. And it's like, God damn, you got like a billion dollars. She got like 30 some odd Grammys. Why does she need album of the year? Like, why isn't she happy with the 30 some odd Grammys that she got? Like, God damn. Or you're standing on stage getting an icon award being recognized by this institution and then you turn around and shit on them by telling them how they're fucking over your wife. Like, really? It's bigger than that. I was reading something earlier today on Facebook. I wish I had screenshotted. My phone died and I was scrolling on Facebook trying to find a post. But a woman had pointed out and she was like, hey, 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 Jay-Z didn't say this. And she said, maybe it would have, maybe he should have because it would have helped his argument a little more. But she was like, do you realize that the last black woman to win album of the year was Lauryn Hill in 1998? It's literally been 25 years since a black woman won album of the year. That don't sound a little rigged to you? That don't sound like something's off to you? I don't know, like in a world where poverty and famine and genocide exists, whether you can really call artists receiving 30 some odd Grammys, but never receiving album of the year. I don't know if you can quite call it unjust with a straight face, but can you call it just? Does it sound right to you? A lot of people are very upset that that Jay-Z said something like he spoke out of place, but I'm like, what is the whole point of becoming a billionaire and amassing All the power, business-wise, social-wise, financially, perceived and otherwise. What's the purpose of amassing all of that if you can't weaponize it, because that's what he did, for a cause that you really believe in? What's the point? You have all this power and you still sit around and bite your tongue? Why? I'm not saying have no filter and run around being an asshole, but for something you really believe in? Bite your tongue for what? I think Jay-Z did a good thing. I mean, I also like people who like stir up shit and cause a little trouble. I think to have the belief 
that your wife isn't being treated fairly by this organization and then to accept an award from this organization and say nothing about how they've been mistreating, in your perception at least, and in mine too, but mistreating your wife, I think he'd be a little insensitive, a little grimy to do that. Other people are like, he could just not accept the award. Why not? An icon award is a nice feather in the cap. I think you can be grateful and honored and appreciative, which all things that he said that he was, of the award. Dre, I think you can respect the Grammys. I think you also can call somebody out and say, hey, like, thank you. I am honored. This is really wonderful. And while I got this mic in my hand, y'all should know I also have this grievance. It's not like he's the first person to say it. The man gave you history. He said back in 89, that's 35 years ago. Y'all had the same issue. And then 25 years ago, y'all had the same issue with DMX. And then fast forward to now, y'all still fucking up. He literally said, because I took notes, we love y'all. We want you to get it right. What's the problem? But I'm glad he did it. Also, and this might just be because often enough, I don't see black men standing up for black women. So when they do, even, even when it's a little toxic, like Will Smith, you know, getting on stage at the Oscars, I tend to give a little more grace because I'm just like, well, shit, at least somebody stood up for somebody and said something. I was happy to see him stand up for her. I hope that Beyonce wasn't blindsided by it. I hope that the facial expression that I was reading, I hope it was more, could have been horrified and honored. Those don't have to be separate emotions, but I hope that she appreciated what he did. I thought it was a good thing to do. It didn't rub me no kind of way. I thought he did it with um, grace and a little bit of humor, but I think he got his point across. Also, I don't want to see them give like an honorary album of the year or honorary anything to Beyonce. Don't give Beyonce no fake ass award. Give her what she rightfully deserves. Me personally, I didn't love Renaissance. Lemonade? Lemonade? Adele won the year Beyonce put out Lemonade and got on stage. and She was like, I shouldn't win this. I'm good, but you're better. Like, you are my inspiration. This, this should be you, sis. Folks wasn't mad at Adele when she said it, but folks are mad at Jay-Z. And again, not just for pointing it out for his wife, but he pointed out a series of injustices. Like, it's not just her. She's the latest example, but like, pay attention to the other two we mentioned as well. That's the episode for this week. I'll be back on Friday. Talk soon. Bye.